So that's John chapter 17, and we'll be reading from verse 13 to 23. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindnesses towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of this moment to share together, and we pray that in your mercy, Father, you will bring your word to our hearts in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that we might see your Son, love him, and serve him gladly until he comes. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, um, uh, I've shared a little bit of of, uh, the way in which God um, kindly used John's gospel uh, in my own life, and... uh, since that time, um, uh, I've continued to come back to John again and again uh, and uh, uh, beheld um, so much treasure and yet so much still remaining. Uh, as you know, the gospel opens wonderfully and dramatically in a way that is full of tension and promise and expectation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, John omits the story of the birth of the baby Jesus in the stable and instead summarizes the stunning truth of the incarnation uh, in what uh, we might reverently say is an unforgettable epigram. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John adds, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as we begin uh, our journey with Jesus in the Gospel of John, we are informed from the opening verses that Jesus is God and yet distinct from God the Father. God has come among us as one of us and makes known what no human has ever known before, the fullness of God's glory. And then in John chapter 17... Uh, we are inestimably and almost incomprehensibly privileged to overhear Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Jesus is coming to the climax of his mission, 
And the prayer begins with Jesus saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Uh, In John's Gospel, glory always has to do with Jesus making known who God is and what he is like. Glory is always about revealing the truth about God. And as Jesus approaches the hour of his crucifixion, the climax of his mission, Jesus prays, as I am brought low in the cross, make known your love in the world. As I am stripped bare and laid naked on the beams, make known your grace and mercy in the world. In the shame and injustice of the cross, make known your love for the world. And then Jesus prays for his 11 disciples, Judas having taken his leave. Verse 6, those you gave me, or rather these, I think I wrote this sermon using the NIV, I shall do my best, but I am jet lagged. (laughs) Verse 6, does it say these? The people, the people whom you gave me out of the world, meaning the 11 disciples, and then Verse 20, those who will believe in me through the ministry of the apostles, I pray for those who will believe in me through their word, the disciples and the disciples that will come. And so in the little section of this prayer that we're looking at today, Jesus prays three things, requests three things, that those who believe in him, verse 13, should have the fullness of his joy within them. Verse 19, that they should be sanctified. And verse 23, that they should be made perfectly one. And in each case, the crucial means by which God brings about what Jesus prays for is through his word. So firstly, protected by joy in the word. In verses 13 to 16, Jesus prays for the 11 disciples that his father would protect them in the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And he says he prays in this way in verse 13, I pray these things, I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now remember, this is the night of Jesus' arrest and trial, the night before his death on the cross. And John lets us in on this poignant and powerful moment of Jesus in closest communion and communication with his Father And what is on his heart at this moment is the joy of his disciples. How are they to have the fullness of his joy within them when he is no longer with them? Verse 13, I speak in the world, Jesus says. Jesus' words, these things that He speaks, 
not just the things that he's praying for them here, but surely all that he has spoken on this night of nights. Verse 14, I've given them your word. And we can easily bring to mind some of what Jesus has said to them on this night, recorded in chapters 13 to 17. Chapter 13, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. A new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will ask the Father and he will give you another, the spirit of truth. Chapter 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, it will guide you into all the truth. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus had said these things to his disciples so that they may have the fullness of his joy within them and what joy there is in the word of Jesus. He wants them to have fullness of joy in his words because, verse 14, the world has hated them even as it hated him. Rejection by the world is not to steal away the joy of Jesus' disciples. It will threaten to do so, especially when he is nailed to the cross. But risen and ascended, they'll be filled with joy. Now, this was a prayer for the eleven. But God, in his kindness, has preserved it for us all. Joy in Jesus is not a function of how successful or respected or comfortable we are in the world. Joy in Jesus is not a function of your health or wealth or security. Uh, recently, I spent a week visiting three dioceses in northeastern Tanz Tanzania. And again and again, I counted people whose means were limited, whose circumstances were modest, whose uh, opportunities were circumscribed by conditions beyond their control, but whose joy was full, whose hospitality was generous, whose hope was undiminished. It was deeply humbling. It was a rebuke to my spiritual poverty, and it was beautiful. Fullness of joy in the truth and grace and glory of the words of Jesus, all that he has made known of himself and his Father by his word. Second, 
Jesus prays for the sanctification of his disciples by the word of truth. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate, sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. We usually think of the word sanctify in two distinct but related ways. It has a spatial dimension of being set apart, uh, especially being set apart for use by God, and it has a moral dimension reflecting the holiness of God so that whatever is set aside for God assumes the character of God in his holiness. And Jesus prays that the disciples will be set apart for God's use as he sends them into the world. And the instrument of their setting apart is the word of truth. Earlier in chapter 17, Jesus says in verse 8, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They are set apart by the word because they accepted what Jesus made known of himself and the Father who sent him. The appropriate response to the word of truth is to accept it, Uh, not merely to assent intellectually, but with heart and mind and soul and strength and will to welcome the word of Jesus in repentance and faith, to repent, to turn from sin and to trust ourselves, to trust our whole selves and being, our will and future and purpose, to trust ourselves to Jesus, gladly submitting to his rule in our lives. So the word that is received by the believer has a double-edged impact, set apart from everyone who does not receive the word in repentance and faith, and then transformed by that word, conformed to that word as the Spirit works the word into our lives, what the Lord calls sanctification, the setting apart and the making holy of his disciples by his word. And then Jesus says it is for his disciples that he sanctifies himself. He describes his impending death on the cross as his sanctification, or ESV says consecration. He sets himself aside for the work to which God has called him in dying for the sake of the world. I throw myself away on the cross for you. There is no self in what Jesus does. He does it for us. And this tells us about what the word of truth tells us about the word of truth that sanctifies. The word that sanctifies. The word that sanctifies the disciples 
is not a word of God's command, not a word of moralistic or legalistic demand, but the word that sanctifies is a word of God's gift, the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's gift of his son to make those who welcome the son holy, set apart for God and transformed by the knowledge of the son. Not a word like every other religion of the effort you must expend to perfect yourself, but a word of what God has done for us. Jesus prays that his Father would protect the disciples by giving them fullness of joy in his words. Jesus prays that his Father would sanctify, set apart and perfect his disciples by the word of truth. And third, Jesus prays that his disciples would be one as they are united to the Father and the Son through the words of the apostles. So Jesus prays for the unity of his future disciples through the ministry of the 11 disciples. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now, uh, just let this sink in for a moment. Um, You can't read John's gospel too slowly. On the night of his betrayal, On the eve of his death on a cross, Jesus prays for those who will believe in the message, the word of the apostles. Jesus prays for those who will believe in the apostolic word. And I take it, dear friends, if you are a believer in Jesus, then that is a reference to you and to me, since somewhere, sometime, Someone spoke to us of the Lord and his gospel, of the love of God in sending the Son of God to die on a cross and be raised again, to pay the debt we owed, to bear the shame that was ours, to lift the burden from us of guilt and fear and to wash us clean, to purchase us from slavery to sin, to free us from the fear and the penalty of death and to make us his own forever. Someone told us of what the apostles taught about Jesus and his death, and we believed. Praise God. You might like to give thanks tonight before you go to bed to God for them, those someone's who spoke an apostolic word to you. And you might like to thank God that on the night before his death, Jesus prayed 
for us. And what Jesus prayed is that we would be one, united with each other and united with him and the Father. Verse 20 again, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The unity of mind and purpose and will of the Father and the Son is something into which we are brought as we believe the word of the disciples sent by Jesus, just as they were united with the Father and the Son as they accepted the word that Jesus spoke to them. It is the continuity and the correspondence of the apostolic message handed down from generation to generation that makes new disciples one, one with each other, one with the first disciples, one with the Father and the Son. What makes us one is our welcome of the gospel message that has come to us from the apostles. We may, and at different times in history, the church has agreed amongst itself to change the apostolic message. But in doing so, we separate ourselves from the Father and the Son, whose union is perfect and eternal and into which we are invited when we believe the word Jesus gave to the disciples to give to us. Uh, what makes Jesus' disciples one is our common knowledge of God's glory through the message about Jesus. It isn't a matter of ethnicity. The anthropologists will say that your cultural heritage and ethnic origin is the key factor in accounting for your religion as a sociological phenomenon. So, for example, if you're a Sri Lankan Buddhist, it's because you're a Sri Lankan. Well, they're not always right, are they? But the unity of Christians is not cultural or ethnic. It's not a matter of party political affiliation or denominational affiliation or preference in music or style of dress or way of speaking. We have beheld his glory. We have come to know God through his Son, and this knowledge unites us by faith with the Father and the Son in a way that unites us also with every other believer. Uh, sometimes you hear the case made that the Anglican Church is a broad church, and it is. The argument can go something like this. Some of us are truth warriors, Delight in Scripture, we hold it up before others, the pure Word of God. But others, usually more gentle souls, are people-oriented and more concerned with the unity of the fellowship, making sure everyone is in the boat. And the argument goes, we need each other. We need the truth people to keep the importance of God's Word in front of us, but we need the unity people so that we don't frustrate Jesus' prayer. But that can't be right, can it? 
we are all to be unity in the truth, people. That is what Jesus prays for. It is the truth that unites us. Three prayers for joy in Jesus and protection from the evil one in a world that rejects Jesus. For setting apart for the Lord's service and bearing his likeness and character. For unity with each other and with the Father and the Son. And in each case, the means by which these prayers will be answered is the words of Jesus we have from the apostles. I have spoken in the world that they may have the fullness of my joy in them, verse 13. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth, verse 17. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their word that all of them may be one, verses 20 and 21. And yet joy and holiness and unity are not ends in themselves. Jesus says twice in verse 14 and verse 18 that he sends the disciples into the world as he has been sent into the world. Sending language in the Bible is always about mission, the mission of the disciples for which they will need joy and holiness and unity. The mission of the disciples is, verse 21, that the world may believe that the Father has sent the Son Verse 23, that the world will know that the Father sent the Son and has loved the disciples as he has loved the Son. Jesus has his own mission in mind as he goes to the cross and he has in mind the mission of the 11 who will speak of him so that others may believe. Jesus went to the cross even for us. What is his mission to you? Do you find you have joy in his words? Have you repented and put your trust in Jesus so that your life has been set apart and is slowly being conformed to his likeness? As a community, belonging to Jesus in this place? Are you united as one, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel, as Paul puts it in Philippians 1.27, without being frightened of those who may oppose you? We must not let the hatred of the world that hated Jesus steal away the joy we have in the promises and purpose that Jesus reveals in his words. We must not accommodate or compromise or appease the world in its rejection of Jesus, but rather be set apart as we respond in repentance and faith to the word of truth. We must not substitute mere coexistence for the indestructible unity that is created by the apostolic gospel but rather we must ask the Lord to use our joy and holiness and unity in the gospel to make known to the world the truth and grace of God in sending his Son 
for the sake of the world, that all, that all may turn to him and know his saving love and power, the fullness of his grace and truth. May it be so. Amen.